Good morning, church. The reading, as Martin said, is taken from Luke chapter 5, verses 27 to 32. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is the word of the Lord. Daniel doesn't want an old man who's been married 33 years to die of COVID. So thank you, Daniel. Well, let's pray as we come to God's word. Father, we thank you so much for this day that we remember the birth of your son. We thank you that you and your grace sent him to rescue people like us. And Lord, we stand amazed. Our hearts are full of thankfulness for your amazing love, your amazing grace that we've just sung about that Christ came to rescue us. And so, Lord, we pray that as we study your word, we pray that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, may work amongst us and may draw us to Christ. And we pray this in his name and for his sake. Amen. Now, imagine this morning if I was to ask you Uh, those of you who are here in the auditorium and those at home online, if I was to ask you, if you were certain that you were a Christian, that you come and stand in front here, and if you were certain that you were not a Christian, that you stand at the back or perhaps outside the doors, and if you were not sure whether you were a Christian, that uh, that you stand in the middle where MJ is with the camera, Now, don't panic, I'm not going to do that. But I would imagine, with the number of people we have here this morning and online, there's bound to be people in one of every one of those three groups, those who are certain that they are Christians, those who are not certain in the middle, and those who are certain that they are not Christians at the back. Where do you think you would stand? Imagine. Think about it. Where would you stand? I'm going to talk this morning mainly to the people in the middle and the people at the back. But I think those who see themselves as in the front better listen carefully because perhaps you should not be so certain. Three questions. I hope you do have the passage open in front of you because that's my job. My job is to unpack the Bible and God's Word, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to carefully look at this passage in Luke's Gospel, and I'm going to ask three questions of of this passage. What is Christianity all about, number one? Number two, who is it for? And number three, what should I do? Let me just go down one quick side road. If you are new to our church and new to the Christian faith, we are in Luke's Gospel. There are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and these are actually the source documents of the Christian faith. So these are the eyewitness reports of his teaching, of his life, of his death, of his resurrection. And if you want to know more about Jesus, there's nothing better than to read the Gospels. Perhaps you should, over the next week or so, read through Luke's Gospel. 
They're 24 chapters. So if you read two chapters per day, you will get a wonderful, wonderful insight as to who this person Jesus is. Read through Luke's gospel. These are the source documents. This is the basis of the Christian faith. The second side road is that the character in this passage, Levi, was also called Matthew. And uh, you may not know, but this is the same Matthew who actually wrote the first gospel, the gospel of Matthew. So when we have a look at the person of, G- of, of Levi, remember what kind of person he was and what kind of person God used to write one of the four gospels which has been read by billions of people over 2,000 years. Levi is called Matthew, and Levi eventually, having followed Jesus, then becomes an eyewitness recorder of the life of Jesus and gives us the gospel of Matthew. All right, question number one. What is Christianity all about? Well, this passage is really no different from any other passage in the New Testament. It's about Jesus. Jesus as king, Jesus as God, Jesus as someone who has authority over people's lives. We see that in verse 27. After this, he, that's Jesus, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. So when you read that, the first thing that strikes you is that Jesus seems to have absolute authority over Levi. So making up your mind about Christianity really boils down to making up your mind about Jesus. Will you follow him? Will you follow him and his claim to be God? In fact, throughout this gospel, Luke uh, gives us numerous examples of the authority of Christ. It's one of the key themes, especially in these opening chapters, that Jesus is no ordinary man. He's a man who has authority. In chapter 4, if you turn back just a page or two, chapter 4, verse 35, Jesus has authority over evil spirits. An evil spirit appears. The evil spirit recognizes Jesus, verse 34. He says, what have you come to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And then Jesus rebukes him. Be silent and come out of the man. He comes out of the man. And the people were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. Jesus has authority over evil spirits. Now, I know that some of you in our church family live in families, in communities, where the occult, where evil spirits, where curses are rampant. They're commonplace. And my dear friends, you and I have no authority over evil spirits. The only authority we have is to be in Christ. He has authority. So if we are in Christ, we do not need to fear these things. Because Christ has authority over evil spirits. Have a look at chapter 5, verse 20. There's a paralyzed man that Jesus meets. Here's another example where Luke gives us of the authority of Jesus. A paralyzed man. Jesus meets him for the first time. First time he meets him. And um, he says to him, man, verse 20, your sins are forgiven you. I mean, that's extraordinary. He meets Jesus the first time. And Jesus says to him, man, your sins are forgiven. My dear friends, at the end of the day, only God forgives sin. So what Jesus is doing here 
is claiming to be God. And then you'll notice in verse 24, Jesus commands this man, a paralyzed man, to pick up his mat and walk. And that's exactly what he does, chapter 4, verse 24. It's extraordinary. You know, I'm a, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm an employer, I talk, and no one listens. Uh, Jesus talks, and, and a paralyzed man gets up and walks. You think it's possible that Jesus could be anything other than the Son of God? So what is Christianity all about? It's making up your mind about Jesus, who has authority. Luke chapter 7, there's an extraordinary uh, cameo there. Luke chapter 7, verse 14, there's another example. The widow of Nain. She'd lost her husband. She had one son who had died, her only son. And she was on her way with, uh, with family and friends to bury her son. And uh, Jesus comes across them, and he has compassion on her. She's a widow burying her only son. And Jesus says there in chapter 7 and verse verse 14. He says, young man, I say to you, arise. Jesus stands there. He looks at them. He has compassion on this woman. He knocks on the coffin and he says, arise. And quite extraordinary, the man sits up and he starts talking. I'm sure he had a lot to say. Now, because of my job, I've been at hundreds and hundreds of funerals. It has never occurred to me to knock on the coffin and say, arise. Now, do you know why? Because I hate to be embarrassed. Nothing will happen. It's quite extraordinary, this Jesus. He is a man with authority. He has authority over the natural world. He has authority over the supernatural world. He has authority over life. He has authority over death. Do you think it's possible that he could be anything other than the Son of God? So what's Christianity all about? Well, it's making up your mind about Jesus, whether you reject him or you come into a relationship with him, whether you submit to him or whether you ignore him. You see, it's beyond all reasonable doubt that Jesus lived and died around about 30, 30 33 AD, 2,000 years ago. That's beyond all reasonable doubt. It's also beyond all reasonable doubt. Think about this. It's beyond all reasonable doubt that there would have been no remembrance of Jesus if he hadn't been raised from the dead. You see, the Roman Empire was a brutal empire. Tens of thousands of people were crucified. It was a common way of dealing with a problem in the Roman Empire. Do you think there would have been any remembrance of Jesus from the back end of the Roman Empire in Palestine? a country preacher, crucified on a cross? Do you think there would have been any remembrance of Jesus if he hadn't been raised from the dead? But Luke was convinced, as Matthew and Mark and John were, that he not only lived and died, but that God supernaturally, physically, objectively raised him from the dead. It is supernatural. That is a miracle. And Luke and all the other gospel authors gives us eyewitness reports at the end of their Gospels, of people who saw Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. Mary, Peter, James, John, the woman, the disciples, 500 people at the same time. And that is what finally convinced Luke that Jesus was not only a man with authority, Jesus was God, God in the flesh. He is risen, he's alive, you can have a relationship with him. 
So what is Christianity all about? Well, when you discard all the packaging, Christianity is fundamentally about Jesus. Jesus as king, Jesus as God, Jesus as someone who has authority, ultimate authority. And this passage is about either submitting to him or rejecting him. Either following Jesus or following your own star. That's really what this passage is all about. That's what Christianity is all about. And it's your call. Second principle, first principle, what is Christianity all about? Second principle, who is it for? Well, notice there again verse 32, back to chapter 5, verse 32. Um, Jesus tells us who it's for. He tells us why he was born. He tells us why he came. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, we generally think of sinners as other people, don't we? We don't think of ourselves as sinners, do we? It's people worse than us, people in Pretoria Maximum Security Prison, or perhaps uh, politicians, or perhaps Australians. Um, um. Well, in the Bible, a sinner is anyone who lives without reference to God. A sinner is anyone who has no relationship with God. A sinner is anyone who doesn't live under the authority of God. And actually, Levi, here in chapter 5, is exhibit A. Let's read again from verse 27. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Now, it tells us there that Levi was a tax collector. That was his job. And we need to get a little bit of background here because otherwise we won't really understand what's happening in this story. Uh, in our culture, in our day, if you are a tax collector, if you work for SARS, there's nothing wrong with that. It's a perfectly respectable job. We may tease you, but it's a respectable job. In fact, it's a critical job in our country to work for SARS. But that was not so in Palestine. Remember, Palestine, the Jewish people, were oppressed by the Roman Empire. And so what the Romans would do is they would take a local Levi, a Jewish man, and he would become a tax collector for them on their behalf, collecting taxes from his own people. In effect, what he would do, if you look into it carefully, he would buy a franchise to collect uh, taxes from a certain geographical region. And um, the Jewish people would hate all tax collectors. They wouldn't joke upon them. They would spit on them because they were sellouts. They were traitors. They were impimpy. But even more than that, he didn't just collect tax for his oppressors. He put some of it in his own pocket. He was corrupt. They were all corrupt. Here we have, here we have the original state capture. Nothing new under the sun. Here in Matthew, Luke chapter 5. Notice verse 29, at the expense of his own people, Levi is stinking rich, he's wealthy, because only wealthy people could give a large banquet, could give a large feast. Perhaps he had a walled estate in Jerusalem, perhaps he had a luxury yacht on the Dead Sea, perhaps he had the uh, top-of-the-range camel in his driveway uh, with genuine leather seating. Probably the nearest equivalent in our culture, think about it, maybe, maybe a drug lord, maybe a mafia boss. I, I think that if Levi had lived now, he would probably have appeared before the Zondo Commission. 
Perhaps that's why they've had to extend it for three months for people like Levi. On the other hand, you'll notice there, verse 30, there's another group of people, the Pharisees. They were actually the good guys. They were the churchgoers of Jesus' day. They were devout. They were religious. They would divide the human race into two groups, good people like them at the front and bad people like Levi at the back. That's how they would divide the human race. They thought that when God came to judge the world, he would condemn people like Levi, and he'd say to good people like them, well done, come inside, you've earned it. They thought that if you tried hard enough, you could get to the top of the line. Well, Jesus arrives, and he does exactly the opposite. He goes to the back of the line and he says to Levi, of all people, the impimpi, the sellout, he says, follow me. I want to be in relationship with you. Come as you are. Well, of course, the churchgoers didn't like that. Notice verse 30. The churchgoers, the Pharisees, and the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? the lowest of the low. And Jesus says, verse 31, those who are well have no need of a doctor, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus says, you've got it entirely wrong. I haven't come to call those who think they're righteous. I don't... I haven't come to call those who think they well. No, I've come to call those who realize they are not righteous, those who are sick. You'll notice Jesus talks here about sinners, verse 32. Seems to me that there are two kinds of sinners, at least two kinds of sinners here in this passage, and probably at least least two kinds of sinners listening to me here this morning uh, in the auditorium or perhaps online. The first are those who are like the Pharisees, who don't think they need Jesus. You see, there are many religious people, church people like that. They're religious, they're spiritual, they go to church. They don't really think of themselves as sinners who need a savior. Let me ask you this question. Think about it. Do you think you need a savior? Think about that. Do you think you need a savior? If your answer is no, it's probably because you don't think that you're a sinner. My guess is that there's someone listening to me here this morning who's probably saying, Martin, do you really have to go on and on about sin? Why can't you be a motivational speaker? Well, you all know I can't be a motivational speaker. But why do you keep going on about sin? I'm I'm basically a good person. I'm human. I know I'm not perfect, but I would never call myself a sinner. I mean, you should meet my colleagues. You should meet my friends. You should meet the dreadful relatives coming for Christmas lunch. They should be here this morning. You see, if you don't think that you really need a savior, it's because you don't really think you are a sinner. You have no conviction of sin. And if you have no conviction of sin, my dear brother and sister, you are in a much deeper problem than what you think. What Jesus is saying here is, you have got spiritual cancer. You are terminal. You are in ICU. But you're living in denial. Imagine a doctor 
traveling into a deep jungle, and uh, he's there to provide medical care to to an isolated tribe who have no access to to medicine. And the uh, the disease has been diagnosed. It's terminal. The 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 tribe has a terminal disease. They've diagnosed it. They've flown in the medical equipment. The meds have been prepared. It's available. It's free. But tragically, they say, no thanks. We'll heal ourselves. We'll sort it out ourselves. Thank you so much. I mean, that's precisely what Pharisees are saying. That's where they were, and perhaps that's where some of you are here this morning. Thinking you're healthy, not realizing you have spiritual cancer. By the way, says Jesus, the human race isn't divided into two groups, those who are good enough for God and those who aren't. No, you're all terminal. You're all sick. You're all not well. It's just that some of you know it and some of you don't. That's the only difference. What Jesus is saying is you may not think that you are all that terminal. You may not think you are all that sinful, but I do. If you were all right, if you were only mildly sick, if you could heal yourself, I wouldn't have come. But you're not. You can't help yourself. You're terminal. You're in ICU. It's a matter of life and death. And that's why I came, and that's why I died on the cross, to rescue you from yourself and your sin and the wrath of God. So there's the first kind of sinner. The other kind of sinner is like Levi. I wonder, I wonder what went through Levi's mind as Jesus approached him and then talked to him and said, and said follow me. I wonder if he, if he didn't in that flash of a moment suddenly feel exposed, naked, dirty, guilty, immoral, embarrassed. I wonder if through his mind he didn't think, surely Jesus didn't come for people like me. I'm a sellout. I mean, how despicable that I've sold out my own people to the oppressor. Surely, surely he didn't come for people like me. Surely he came for respectable people, uh, good people, religious people. Perhaps there's someone here this morning sitting in the auditorium or sitting at home online, and as we've been unpacking this passage, you, 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 you're sinking deeper and deeper into your chair because you, feel, you almost feel as if everyone can see your sin, your guilt, your shame. You're exposed, you're naked. Perhaps you'll say to me, Martin, you're talking about following Jesus, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know how bad it is. You don't know how deep it is. You don't know how long it was. You don't know how many it was. You know, we talk about the dark internet, and then there's the deep internet. And Levi says, that's where I come from. And Jesus says to him, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, 
and I will give you rest, spiritual rest. No prerequisites, no hoops to jump through. He doesn't say to Levi, Levi, first get your act together. First clean yourself up. First sort yourself out. First get your own house in order, then come and follow me. He doesn't do that. He says, Levi, I'll take you as you are, but follow me. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What qualifies you to come to Jesus? Question. The answer, your very burden qualifies you to come to Jesus. Your burden of sin, your burden of shame, your burden of guilt That is what qualifies, that's precisely what qualifies you to come to Jesus. No payment, it's a gift, it's not a transaction. My dear friends, none of us are good, none of us are well. We're all critically sick, we're all critically terminal, we're all in ICU, it's just a matter of moments. And Jesus has nothing to offer you unless you admit that you need a doctor. He has nothing to offer you unless you admit you are sick. You see, many people, especially church people, get the wrong end of the stick. They think think that uh, Christianity is for good people, for nice people, for respectable people, for religious people. And Jesus says, you've got it entirely wrong. I can only help you if you admit you're sick. I can only help you if you admit that you're a sinner. I can only help you if you admit you are have spiritual cancer. I can only help you if you're standing in the middle or the back. You say, I'm too bad to receive grace. Martin, you have no idea. I'm too bad to receive grace. And Jesus says, how can you be too bad to receive what is for the bad? <laughs> you get the logic? I'm too bad to receive grace, you say. And Jesus says, how can you be too bad to to receive what is for the bad? Third, Third point. First point, what is Christianity all about? Second point, who's it for? Third point, what must I do? Now, there may be some here this morning sitting in the auditorium or sitting at home online, and uh, you may say to yourself, Martin, I don't think I need to do anything because I don't actually believe in God. I'm here under duress. It's my Christmas duty to my spouse or my children or my parents. I don't believe in God. I don't need you to do anything at all. And the Bible says, yes, you do believe in God. Everyone does. You know that you have a sixth sixth sense. You know you have some sense of spirituality. You know you have a conscience. What you're actually saying is, I don't want God to interfere in my life which is a totally different thing. And actually, that's where Levi started. That's where all of us who are Christians started. And Jesus says, follow me. Come as you are. But you won't stay as you are. Follow me and repent. It's there in verse 32. What must we do? I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, repentance is not a very popular word in our culture. (laughs) People don't like the word sin. They don't like the word repentance. 
strangely, they don't like the word grace, but especially the word repentance. Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Repentance is a Bible word. It means to turn around. So exhibit A is Levi. Levi was living in his own way, living his own life, living as if there's no God, there's no eternity, there's no judgment, there's no heaven, there's no hell. I'm the Lord of my own life. I'm the master of my own destiny. That was Levi. And then Jesus calls him and he turns around. So Levi was living his own way, doing his own thing, and Jesus calls him and he turns around and he follows Jesus. That's repentance. Now the symptoms may be different. But the disease is the same, and the cure is the same. You turn from following your own star, and you follow Jesus. That's repentance. Jesus says, follow me. Levi gets up, he obeys, and he follows him. Complete U-turn. and His life will never be the same. And then Jesus takes this worthless uh, traitor and he gets him to write one of the Gospels. Isn't that extraordinary what God's grace can do to change us and then use us? Wouldn't today be a good day? Christmas 2020, what a remarkable year. Wouldn't today be a good day for you to be like Levi, to get up and follow Jesus. You're not a Christian because you went to a Christian school. You're not a Christian because you have Christian parents or Christian grandparents. You're not a Christian because your, your grandmother or grandfather was a missionary. No, you're a Christian because like Matthew, you got up and followed Jesus. Wouldn't today be a good day to finally stop ducking and diving, to finally get to the end of yourself and all your little plans and all your little dreams and follow Christ and follow him. Let's pray. The way to get right with Jesus is to talk to him and we talk to him through prayer. So I'm going to pray a prayer that you may want to pray. You may, you may have felt that as we were singing, as we were praying, as we were reading God's word, that God the Holy Spirit was pressing in upon your heart, pressing in upon your mind. Today is the day. If you want to get right with God today, you can do that through prayer. So I'm going to pray a prayer that you may want to echo just quietly in the back of your head. Lord Jesus, I don't understand it all. But I know that I need you. I know that Christ died on the cross for me and my sin. Will you rescue me? Will you make me a Christian? Will you help me to live under your leadership?
And Father, we thank you so much that when we turn to you and call upon you with all our doubts and all our confusion and call on you for mercy, that you hear and you answer. And so I pray that you may work amongst us here this morning, here in the auditorium and for those online. Work amongst us, we pray. Father, go with us into this day, this wonderful day of remembrance. Be with us this week. Be with our church family who may be away. Keep us close to yourself above all else. And we pray this for Christ's sake. Amen.